Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Insight Peterborough, which is on Trent Radio here. It's a partnership of the Canadian Council of the Blind and myself, uh, formerly working with Big Idea at the Innovation Cluster. So I'm actually joined here today by Phyllis. Yes, She's, hi. Hi there. Uh, you're filling in for Devin, who's away. Uh, and we're gearing things up for National Accessibility Week, which is coming up on the 26th. And so the first... Uh, kickoff event for National Accessibility Week is the Walk for Dog Guides, which is taking place at the East City Lions Club. Um, and so we'll be talking a little bit about dogs today. So why don't we start things off with a song just about that. Some of you might recognize that voice. That is none other than our local John Morris, who is a part of the Canadian Council of the Blind. Uh, so uh, we're going to go on now to an interview, uh, which is a spotlight on assistance dogs by Devin. Here we go. Frankie, come. Come on. Frankie, come. Good boy. Good boy. Sit. Good boy. Down. Down. Good boy. And stay. Stay. Good boy. How about you? Can you sit down and stay for the next half hour? This is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Hello there and welcome to the April 2019 edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. 
I'm Devin from Canada. I want to begin with a timely announcement, but it has a website in it, so you'll need something to record it with, either Braille or uh, digital recording or whatever. So you go get that ready, and in the meantime, we'll hear Rehab by the Guide Dog Glee Club. that timely reminder I wanted to pass along to you. It's that time again 
for the annual free eye exams for guide and service dogs. And the sponsoring organizations are the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists and Stokes Pharmacy. This year, there are ophthalmologists offering the service in Vancouver, British Columbia, Calgary, Alberta, Cambridge, Ontario, and Riverview, New Brunswick, here in Canada. And then, of course, uh, there will be uh, several cities in the U.S. and Puerto Rico where the where there are eye doctors offering the same service. To get more information and to register, go to, and here comes the website, https colon slash slash www.acvoeye E-X-A-M dot O-R-G slash number about. I'll give you that website again. H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash www dot A-C-V-O E-Y-E-E-X-A-M dot O-R-G slash number about. Last January uh, 2019, the Dixieland Guide Dog users of uh, Charleston, South Carolina, hosted um, an event that takes place every two years called Top dog. One of the events that they offered was called Thanks Pups, and uh, it was a panel discussion about how important it is to recognize the roles that service dogs, and especially psychiatric service dogs, play, because we do have to live and work in harmony in order to increase the credibility of the assistance dog industry. So there was a panel discussion, and the moderator of that panel was Janine Stanley. This time we will hear part one of that discussion. We are going to talk other types of service dogs today, and we're going to talk about them because the Americans with Disabilities Act definition of a service animal is any animal, dog actually now, as of the uh, 2010 revisions, any dog specially trained to do a task, and, and uh, you're, pardon me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase here, but... Uh, specially trained to do work or perform tasks to mitigate someone's disability. Now, the big part there is specially trained. 
And then there are other parts of the definition that talk about public behavior, and there's a lot of guidance from the Department of Justice about public behavior. But we're talking dogs, and we're talking all kinds of dogs. We're also talking all kinds of disabilities. And we're going to hear a little bit about that today. And I will warn you, you may hear some things here you may find controversial. You may hear some things here you don't like. You may hear a lot of things you're going to agree with. And we hope you will hear a lot of things here that will make you think. Now, I'm going to describe my attire today for a reason, um, which will become evident later. But um, <laughs> I am actually wearing a black and white long cardigan, black pants, white shirt, and a lovely distinctive green scarf. And we will learn the meaning of that later. But let me introduce my panelists here. So to my left, I have Tony Ames. And Tony is the, a founding member and president of the International Association for Assistance Dog Partners. This organization has been around for a, quite a while, at least, what, uh, almost 30 years now? 92. 92. Woohoo! Okay. Uh, and... Tony is also, she tells me this, so we'll see. Um, how long have you, Tony has been using guide dogs for 55 years. Anybody, anybody else any longer? All right, you got it. Woohoo! Yay, yay. So uh, there are apparently a few of us 40-year and 30-year people out there, but uh, not too many 50-year people. <laughs> yay. To Tony's left is Mr. Ed Crane, and Ed is a um, service dog handler. You may have seen Ed and his uh, large yellow lab here, who he's going to tell you what his dog does for him. He is also the, um, the operator of a website, myservicedog.org. Yep, I'm sorry, my service dog incorporated. There we go. So, and we will give you all of these in, in an email later, so never fear. To my right are two folks that I had the pleasure of meeting during the 2016 Regneg process for the Air Carrier Access Act. And they are Veronica Morris, who is the president of the Psychiatric Service Dog Partners, and Brad Morris, who is the legislative director for PSDP. And Brad and I were the co-chairs of the uh, service dog working group for that particular effort. We then formed another organization that's a loose collaboration, but it's one that we advocate under called United Service. Let me see if I can get this right. United Supporters and Advocates. See, I already screwed it up. <laughs> United Supporters, Advocates, and I, see, I'm going to give it to them because I'm losing my mind right now. Okay, do it. <laughs> okay, pay attention to the letters. United Service Animal Users, Supporters, and Advocates. Because... Exactly. Who can be against USA? USA. <laughs> so now that I have given those auspicious introductions, I'm just going to give you a really quick thing here on how I got into the sort of the cross the, uh, the holistic service animal advocacy. Um, I realized back in the early 90s, um, as Tony did as well in forming IAADP, that this law covers all of us. It's not a special law for guide dog people up here and all you other people down here. We are all fighting the same battles now. We're fighting the battles against people who, for whatever reason, want to usurp the law and 
get around it. People who either don't know, don't understand, or choose not to abide by behavior standards. And then the business community that really doesn't understand that they have the right to say, no, you need to take that dog out. And so we're all fighting the same battle. And this is a tough battle to fight, folks, because we all hate people who are taking away our rights and making things more difficult for us. Sometimes, though, it's really hard to figure out who those people are. So I'm going to turn this over. And, and I, I love having an, a Tony and Ed up here again. Um, it just, they, they are not, no, there is not the, there is no connection there. They are just friends. Um, <laughs> I had to put that out there. But I'm going to turn the mic over to Tony to give us a little history and then Ed to talk a little bit about what his dog does and what his history is for our first 15 minutes. So you all know what's going to happen. And then Brad and Veronica. Veronica is going to talk a bit about Hestia, who some of you have had a chance to meet. And then Brad is going to talk a little bit about legislation and legislative history and efforts. So here you go, Tony. I was one of these kids who loved dogs, and my mother could not ever convince me that there was an unfriendly dog I shouldn't pet. So when I got my guide dog, I got, and that was in 1967, and I used to think when I was younger, wow, there are some people who've had dogs for over 50 years. Of course, I was much younger then, and... Uh, now I'm one of them. But I loved the idea of guide dogs. I mean, it changed my life thoroughly. And so I got involved with a number of the guide dog schools and got to know a lot of the CEOs at the time. And when I met my late husband in 84, he was writing a book called... Um, a guide to guide dog schools, and he didn't know that much about guide dogs. He really didn't. When he had gotten his dog at Seeing Eye, he knew so little. He had never had a pet dog. And when his dog one time lifted his leg and peed on him during a walk, um, his trainer came running over and said, Dr. Ames, that's a bonding sign, the dog showing you. I said, no, that's a sign of a bad dog who peed on you. Um, <laughs> but we started to learn about people with other disabilities and their dogs, and it was so fascinating. You know, we were so entrenched in the guide dog movement and all the things that excuse me, that guide dogs could do for you. But we were at a conference for the Delta Society, and we met people in wheelchairs who dog, whose dogs could retrieve things for them, uh, dogs who could push buttons on a phone to call 911. And we said, we have so much in common. Our veterinary issues are in common. We all have canines, and they all have different kinds of problems. We all have the problem of retirement or euthanasia, or how does the family who's not disabled accept your dog? So in 1992, we established the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners, and you can get that online, iaadp.org. And we advocate for all people with well-trained, and that is a big thing, well-trained dogs. And just recently, before I came here, I was reading an email from the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, 
It's a great club, and they get together, they go on trips, they work with people who are training their own dogs, and dogs do not have to come from any kind of organization. The big thing all the time is they have to be well-trained. Can't just say, I love Fido, and I just can't bear to leave the house without Fido. Um, the dog has to be trained to do something for you. And Gene Hample, their former president, came up with a list, and I think it's it's very good because there are so many, I'm sure all of you have met the phonies out there, and you can tell by the behavior of the dog that they're phonies. So Gene came up with a list of people who have uh, no right to be going into public. And the first of the list is a non-disabled person with maybe a well-trained dog or not, but they've got the vest online, so they claim they have a service dog. And then you have the non-disabled person with a well-behaved dog, but it's not their dog. It could be, you know, a family member's dog, and they still want to have public access. And then you have a disabled person with a pet, maybe well-trained or not well-trained, but the dog has no task training. Or uh, the non-disabled person um, or I should say the disabled person with a poorly behaved service dog. And these are some of her issues about what constitutes, you know, a dog who should not have public access. I was going to a physical therapist in my hometown of Fresno, and my physical therapist had a little chihuahua. And when I would come in with my golden retriever guide dog, this dog would bark and bark, and they had to put him in a separate room. And then I found out that George took his dog everywhere. He said, I love my dog. I don't want to leave my dog alone. I take him to restaurants and so on. And I said to him, well, it's illegal. He said, well, I have a vest. I said, that's still illegal. Your dog doesn't have to wear a vest or a harness or any other equipment. And I said, okay, what would happen, George, if I came into a restaurant and um, I forgot the dog's name, we'll call him Fido, you know, starts barking at Adora the way he does when I come into the physical therapy practice. And he joked with me and he said, well, then I tell you, you should go to another restaurant. But it is unfortunate how many people out there love their dogs very, very much, but should not be bringing their dogs in public. First of all, what nobody seems to be addressing is that some of those dogs are terribly, terribly stressed. You might love your dog, but the dog might not love to be on an airplane and might not love to be in a crowd. I mean, it's a phenomenal when you think about all the dogs we have here. And, you know, we have an occasional bark, but there's no fighting, there's no growling, you know, people are going by and saying, stick to your right or do this, you know. I think it's so incredible how many dogs there are here and how wonderfully trained they are. Um, and then you hear about flight attendants who get bitten and, and all this kind of stuff, and that's why the airlines are coming up with all these rules that affect all of us. And, of course, what they want is a certification process. Well, it doesn't work. Who's going to certify us? You know, are these going to be trained people who evaluate the behavior of your dog? You get a tag, you get a vest, you get whatever. I was in a store in Florida, 
and the cashier was commenting about my dog. Oh, she's so quiet. She's so well behaved. And I'm sort of shocked. I said, that's the way she's supposed to be. And she's telling me about all these other dogs over the months who have growled at other customers, who have been very poorly behaved. And I said, you don't have to allow them in here. She said, I know, but management doesn't want negative publicity. And that's one of the things we all have to get together and do is educate the public out there that they don't have to accept poorly behaved dogs. They don't have to let them into their stores or theaters. There was one case I read recently of a dog who barked throughout a theatrical production. And at the second bark, I would have said, bye, out with you. You know, um, how disturbing to the rest of the public who then gets annoyed with dogs. We don't want dogs in here. Not realizing that we have various types of dogs. So we need to not get mad at the fakers, but get mad at the people who won't prosecute the fakers, who won't say, no, I'm sorry, you can't leave. And if it's negative publicity, so be it. And talk, why? Why did you not let this dog in here? Well, the dog is growling or barking or, you know, not housebroken and all the other things that they accuse all dogs of doing. Uh, so we need that. There's no, you know, you hear the word service dog and then you hear the word fake and they don't go together. There are fakers and those are the people who try to get dogs into places. Now I adore my cat and he loves me. So I joke, can I call him an emotional support cat and take him with me? <laughs> I also personally think that any therapist who signs a form saying that you definitely need Fluffy with you because you can't fly or you can't go into the store, and they've never met Fluffy, they have no idea of the behavior of this dog, um, they should be prosecuted too if they sign those forms. So there has to be a lot more negative publicity, not all these little ads about how wonderful dogs are and they do so much for us. I think that's, that's great, but there are also people who shouldn't have dogs with them. So I could go on forever, but I'm going to turn this over to Ed. And Ed has a wonderfully behaved dog. You know, one more thing, when, I've, when, I've, when people have asked to meet me and they say they have a service dog, I'm very suspicious, like, yeah, we'll see. But I'll say that Ed's dog will not even pick up, you know, a French fry fell off the table. And uh, he said, my dog won't take it. I said, my dog will, you know. <laughs> She's a golden. <laughs> but, you know, some of these dogs have behaviors that are even better than our guide dogs. So here we go. Next month, we'll hear from... Ed Crane talking about his seizure response dogs. And thank you very much to the Dixieland Guide Dog users for letting us play that. Say, did you know that April 24th, the last Wednesday in April, is International Guide Dog Day? I really don't have anything else to report on that, but I definitely wanted to make you aware of that so that you can celebrate the occasion either on your own or with friends and family and the uh, general public. 
Well, that just about does this week's edition of, uh, or this month's edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Thanks so much for listening. And we're going to finish uh, with a song by Laurel Jean Walden, who was uh, one of the organizers of this uh, most recent edition of um, Top Dogs in uh, Charleston. And she's going to sing The Blessing of Your Love. Thanks so much for being with us. If you have any information about what's going on, please do send it to me at The Harness, The Harness, just like what a guide dog wears, at bell.net. The Harness at bell.net. So until May 17th, have a wonderful month, and uh, we'll speak with you soon. Bye for now. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Your love looked at me. And I prayed that my heart would have the eyes to see The miracle of grace upon your tender face When your love looked at me Your love touched my hand And I prayed that my heart would fully understand that in this world of strife and pain I was given life again When your love touched my hand And though I speak or sing The words of the angels Nothing can compare To that day your love walked up to me and found me waiting there Your love led my way With an angel sent from heaven by my side to stay I flew upon your wings My heart began to sing When your love led my way
upon your tender face when your love looks at me I know the blessing of your love Ooh, your So that was Devon's Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. And so I've got an announcement, a couple of little announcements here uh, before we go on to some more music. So first off, uh, there's an exciting event coming up with Council for Persons with Disabilities and their Active Together program. They've got interactive, accessible, and inclusive games at the Y. Uh, That's coming up on... 11 a.m. on Tuesday, so every second Tuesday of each month uh, at 11 a.m. at the YMCA, Inclusive and Accessible Interactive Games. There's another interesting and exciting thing going on. Uh, On the 21st of May, uh, so Active Together will be doing some judo at the YMCA. So Paul Telecki and his judo group uh, are doing uh, some Active Together uh, judo at the YMCA on May 21st at 1 p- or sorry from noon until 1 p.m. So Paul's doing a great work to uh, to try and make judo accessible to everyone. Uh, so those are two events that are coming up. Keep uh, keep that on your calendar. And we're going to go on to another song about uh, about dogs. This is Oscar Brand and a good old dog. <laughs> Robin is a good old dog, the best there ever was. I love him cause he's smart and good, he loves me just because. And Robin takes good care of me, the best I ever knew. I love him though there's not much need. He loves enough for two He lays his paw upon my knee In a way I can't ignore And if I scratch behind his ear He loves me even more That he knows what I've been saying Every sentence, every word I'll bet his tail is wagging Cause he likes what he just heard Robin is a good old dog And it should be no surprise He helps me see the world around Cause Robin is my eyes On him, and we go out for a walk. Robin knows just where to take me. I don't even have to talk, and I never have to worry, just as long as he's in charge. And I know no one will harm me, 
Cause he's really kind of large When I feel him turning slightly I know something's up ahead Or a gentle pause informs me That the traffic light is red We've walked many miles together Since the time we first began And I would trust him with my life Just cause I know I can Guess I couldn't do without him And the wonder of it is Robin is a good old dog I'm thankful that I'm his that was a really sweet song. I don't think I've heard that one before. Way to go, Devin. So uh, I think his words were really, they really resonated. I guess the uh, service dogs are really an important part of life, and and, uh, they say the dog's man's best friend, but holy cow, I guess some folks just can't go without him. Uh, Let's go on to another song. This one's Mo Kaufman and the Bulldog Walk. And now we're going to go on to another interview that Devin did. Uh, this one is all about uh, hearing dogs as well as uh, as uh, vision dogs. So here you go. We're sitting here at my dining room table, and we have uh, my guide dog, Frankie, and the hearing dog of my guest, 
Amanda Motier. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Motier. Motier. Sorry about that. No, no problem. Okay. And uh, we're here because we're preparing for the Pet Value Walk for Dog Guides, which is going to be taking place on May 26th here in uh, Peterborough and in other locales in our general listening area. So uh, check out where it's happening at uh, in your uh, part of the uh, Peterborough County and, uh, and across the country and uh, you'll be able to uh, get more information about that. But right now we're going to talk with Amanda about her recently retired hearing dog, Tilly. Hi Amanda, how are you? Hi Devin, I'm very good, thank you. Thanks so much for being on the program with us. Of course. So have you always had a, a hearing impairment? Um, so I was, I was not necessarily diagnosed at birth, but um, it's likely that I had some sort of hearing loss from birth and I was diagnosed when I was uh, five years old. Ah, okay. So I've been wearing hearing aids for um, over 25 years now. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. And how did you hear about hearing dogs? Um, well, I think it was my audiologist that kind of first mentioned them in passing. Um, but there was also a TV show that used to run um, a while ago on uh, called Sue Thomas FBI. And she was an FBI agent who uh, was deaf and could read lips, and she would read lips on surveillance videos for the FBI, and she had a hearing dog. And I just thought this was incredibly fascinating, so uh, when I went away to university, I, I looked into it more seriously, and that's how I, found, how I found out about the Lions Foundation of Canada Dog Guides. Okay, and yeah, I remember that show very well. It was a good show. Yes, it was. Very educational. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, how long have you had uh, your hearing dog, Tilly, now? A little over seven years. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we trained together in 2012. So it's been, uh, it's been a while. Uh-huh. Yes. And how long did you have to stay uh, at the facility in Oakville? I believe it was 12 days. Okay. So we met our, our dogs on the second full day. Ah, okay. So did someone uh, come back with you afterwards to do aftercare? Well, about a month after we got back, or a month and a half, um, our trainer came to visit us to see how we were, how we were getting along. But otherwise, there's no one who is there with you um, when you come back. They right. just kind of check in. Okay. Yeah. What kind of uh, what kind of tasks do they uh, dogs? do for you? What are they trained to do for you in the house? So um, Tilly does a variety of tasks and as you mentioned they are mostly in the home since uh, that's where most of our um, danger signals or um, communication sounds are located. Mm -hmm. um, so the most the most important sound that Tilly can alert to is the smoke detector. Um, when those go off at night or even during the day when I have my hearing aids in I can't hear them. So she's trained to make physical contact and spin in a circle, and uh, that tells me that it's the fire alarm wow. going off. Um, she also alerts me to the kitchen timer, people knocking on the door, people ringing the doorbell, people calling my name. Um, hearing dogs can be trained to alert to alarm clocks, but I tend to prefer using a uh, vibrating wristwatch alarm 
rather than a hearing dog for that particular uh, work. Oh, okay. And also the telephone ringing, but I don't use the telephone, so we don't use that sound either. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, now you are an architect in town, from what I understand. Yes, I am. And before she retired, did you take her to work? Um, yes, I did. Tilly was a, a very uh, well-loved, or is still a well-loved yeah. member of the Lead Architects team, and um, she's in my photo with me on our website. Nice. What is your website? Uh, it's www.letlett.ca. Okay. So in our team picture, Tilly's featured with me, and um, she's also mentioned in uh, in the, the heading as well. Yeah. So if you were out at work and she were with you and someone were to call your name, that would be a, a useful thing, right? Yeah, so that didn't actually happen a whole lot. Most of the time it was in the office. Okay. I would call my name and then she would, uh, she would let me know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, most, that was, that's one sound that does sometimes happen outside the house, but most of the sounds are at home. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, but now that she has retired, she... Um, only works at home. Um, yes. Yeah. So she only works in the house. Yeah. What kind of things, though, would she have done outside? Um, so, to be honest, she can still sort of do these things because um, none of the work that she does outside of the home, other than um, things like the name call, uh, are trained tasks. So. Uh -huh. One thing that um, deaf and hard of hearing people have, a, have difficulty with is um, hearing things come up behind us. So if you're out walking on the sidewalk um, and there's a bicycle riding on the sidewalk coming up behind you, you can't necessarily know that it's there, but um, your hearing dog will know that it's there and will turn their head to look. And if you notice that, then you can also turn around to look and see that there's this bike coming up behind you. Yes. Um, she also, yeah, basically any kind of loud or unfamiliar noise, she's going to react to it to some degree, and so mm -hmm. as long as you're paying attention, you're going to pick up on those cues. Like uh, construction noises? Um, not necessarily construction nope. noises, um, but certainly like horns going off, Yeah, stuff like that. Um, so she was trained in public access because uh, obviously some of her sounds were occurring in public. Um, so she had a vest and she would wear that when we were out and about. Yeah. Um, but now that she's retired, she doesn't have that vest. So we don't go into public places anymore that are not dog friendly. Right. Um, she does still come with me to work. Oh, that's good. Except we're, we're a dog friendly office. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you know if there are other hearing dogs here in town? Um, I don't know for sure. I don't think so. I've never met another hearing ear team in Peterborough. Right. When um, when do you think it's a good time, you know, for somebody with a hearing impairment, when do you think it's a good time for them to check out whether uh, a hearing ear dog would be good for them or not? Well, if you're starting to have difficulty with um, hearing uh, the sounds in your home that you need to in order to be able to function, so, you know, things like the kitchen timer, if you're... If you're you know, burning food all the time because you, you can't hear the kitchen timer, um, or if you're fearing for your life at night because you can't hear your smoke detectors, um, 
then I I would start looking into solutions for for how to how to cope with that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that hearing dogs are the only option for someone in that position. Mm -hmm. um, so usually the people who are interested in a hearing dog are interested in having a dog and interested in the, the companionship and partnership with with that dog. Um, so if you're if that's another aspect that you would like, then a hearing dog could be right for you. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we have uh, our two dogs here, as I was saying before, and they seem to enjoy playing with each other. They do. <laughs> so when they when uh, Tilly has her vest off, she and uh, which she does, um, she can play just like Frankie can when he doesn't have his harness on. The vest works slightly different with uh, with hearing ear dogs because. Most of their work is in the home. Most of their work is actually happening when their vest is off. Um, right. So they're kind of they're kind of always on call. Yes. Um, in a way that certain other types of service dogs are not. Um, but what the vest has always meant to Tilly was that she needed to be on her best behavior and very focused when we were out in public. Yeah. Um, so there was a noticeable change when she was wearing it. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of her sound work, she's actually more responsive. Um, and especially more responsive to those environmental noises that I was talking about, like yeah. bikes and stuff coming up behind you when she's not wearing her vest. Mm -hmm. Does she react in a thunderstorm? No, she's actually um, pretty fearless about any loud noises, mm -hmm. interestingly enough, yeah. When she alerts, how does she alert to you? So she makes physical contact, which means she comes over and she'll put a paw on my leg or she'll jump up mm -hmm. on me if I'm standing. Um, and then I ask her, what is it? And she takes me to the source of the sound. Ah. So if that's a kitchen timer, you have to leave the kitchen timer in a place where um, she knows that it is. Yes. Usually, in my case, on my fridge. Mm -hmm. um, so when I ask her, what is it? She takes me to the fridge. Mm -hmm. um, for the dangerous signal, the, the fire alarm, yeah. um, when I ask her, what is it? She spins in a circle. And that's how I know that it's the fire alarm and not one of the other wow. sounds. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. We should maybe uh, talk about uh, her breed. Uh, you were saying earlier that they use, uh, they tend to use fairly small dogs for hearing dogs? Um, yeah, they don't like to go too much bigger than 60 or 65 pounds, I would say. Mm -hmm. So Tilly was one of the, Tilly's kind of on, on the larger end of what they would use for a hearing dog now. Just because they are jumping up on you to alert yeah. you. So a really large dog, they don't want them to jump up on you and knock you over. No. Uh, so they, they often use a lot of miniature poodles okay. as well, mm -hmm. who, have, who are really quite small. But Tilly is uh, a, a lab, did you say? She's half uh, black lab and half golden retriever. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the poodles are, are quite um, attentive. I remember being in a class uh, that had a, a guide dog uh, as a, a poodle being trained as a guide dog and he seemed to react uh, almost uh, first uh, to any sound outside the room where we might be talking or whatever. You'd hear him lift his head up off the floor and the rest of the dogs seemed to uh, react to his interest in what was going on. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they're very smart dogs, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that uh, I should be asking you about uh, what hearing dogs do and that sort of thing? 
I think we've I think we've covered it really. Okay. We talked about the the environmental noises, which is also a very important part of their work, and we also talked about the train sounds. Um, I guess one thing that's interesting about hearing your dogs is that um, they don't they don't have a specific command to do their work. So whenever a sound goes off, they are making a decision to respond to that noise oh. and to come and alert you. Um, and it, if they choose not to, then you're never going to know about it, right? Right. So you are relying on on them to uh, to identify and uh, respond to yeah. these noises and alert you. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which I find, I've always found very interesting. Do you find that you tend to rely on her more at night when your hearing aids are out? Um, I definitely rely on her more when my hearing aids are out. Mm -hmm. So, um, if whether that's at night or not, because um, mm -hmm. I, I don't always not want to wear them around the house, right? Because uh, it's gonna be tiring to just hear stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, but with my hearing aids, I, I can hear the kitchen timer with my hearing aids if I'm in the kitchen, mm -hmm. but if I want to leave the room, then suddenly I'm not hearing that sound anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, the doorbell I might hear, you know, in certain rooms, but if I'm downstairs or if I'm, you know, in a room with the door closed, or if I don't have my hearing aids in, then yeah, I'm definitely relying on Tilly to, to let me know okay. um, about that. Yeah. Well, that's great. Do you happen to know the history of, of hearing your dogs, like when uh, do you know when they were f first started to, to use or train hearing ear dogs? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I know Lions Foundation started training them in the late 80s, I believe. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'm sure that the concept of a hearing ear dog was around before then. Yeah. Well, dogs are wonderful, aren't they? They do so They're many amazing. things. They're amazing. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of... Uh, Review. Uh, they they have dog guides like uh, canine vision dogs. Uh, the school in Oakville. That's what they call them. And then uh, uh, special skills or service dogs. And then uh, autism service dogs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And seizure response dogs. And uh, diabetes alert dogs. Yeah. And did you hear about the uh, new program that they're starting now? The post-traumatic stress disorder program. Um, do they do that? Okay. I heard they were they were planning to to start okay. training some PTSD dogs. Yeah. Well, that would be good. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I had heard of were called justice facility dogs. Okay. Yeah. To be used in the court system and that sort of thing. Hmm. Anyway, for all that information, you can uh, go on their website, um, which is uh, Lions Foundation of Canada. I th thought. I think it might be uh, www.dogguides.com. Ah, okay, dogguides.com. So. Yeah, all right. And uh, yeah, that's good. And it's a school in Oakville sponsored by the Lions Foundation of Canada. And the walk, as we were mentioning, is on uh, May 26th. So, uh, unless there's anything more, Amanda, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Devin. And uh, good luck with uh, Tilly, and uh, let's hope to uh, chat with you again someday. Oh, me too, thank you. 
All right. So that was another great interview by Devin. And she had a question at the end there that didn't get a good answer, which was uh, when did, when did uh, hearing dogs for the deaf uh, start being used? And I found some information online. Uh, the hearing dogs for the deaf was founded in 1982 uh, by Dr. Bruce Fogel. So 1982 is apparently when formally uh, hearing dogs for deaf people were, were being trained. So there you go. Uh, Devin has uh, made me aware of uh, a really unfortunate thing. Uh, we lost uh, a great person. Uh, Jean Vanier passed away last week. And uh, Jean was a Canadian uh, Catholic philosopher, theologian, and humanitarian. In, in 1964, he founded LARCH, uh, an international federation of communities spread over 37 countries for people with developmental disabilities and for those people who assist them. Uh, he also founded Faith and Light, uh, which also supports uh, people with developmental disabilities, their families and friends, and that's in over 80 countries. So Jean uh, passed away on May 7th, 2019, at the age of 90. And uh, so in honor of that, Devin has asked me to play uh, a song called Lord Jesus, You Shall Be My Song. So we will close with that, and until next week... This is Insight Peterborough on Trent Radio. Lord Jesus, you shall be my song as I journey. I'll tell everybody about you wherever I go. You alone are our life and our peace and our love. Lord Jesus, you shall be my song as I journey. Lord Jesus, I'll praise you as long as I journey. May all of my joy be a faithful reflection of you. song. Lord Jesus, I'll praise you as long as I journey. As long as I live, Jesus, make me your servant to carry your cross and to share all your burdens and tears. Sir.